Lord, we thank you so much for the treasure that your word is. We think of all of the ways that you meet us here, even this past week as we have delighted in you and given thanks to you. Uh, the, the words of our soul uh, are filled in by your word in the, and the psalmist and his praise and so many other passages. Lord, we are thankful. We are grateful. It is uh, the bedrock that, uh, that grounds us, your gospel, the good news, and the impact then is joy and peace and gratitude and praise. Thank you for the singing of your church this morning. As Glenn described, Lord, we join our voices with the chorus that continues around the globe uh, day and night. The sun never sets on the worship of your people, and it will always be so because your Son, our Savior, is glorious. Father, we ask for your help as we study these verses. We pray that we would see uh, your glory on display and that we would celebrate then with these who have entered the waters of baptism today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 3. We're just moving verse by verse through the gospel of Luke, and uh, uh, that's our favorite thing to do here. We just pick a book, and we start at the beginning, and then we take as long as it takes to get to the end. Now, here are our two verses. This is where I want to begin. When all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized, and was praying... The heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. Okay, so that's where we are going to be uh, focusing our attention. But here's what I'd like to do. I'm going I'm to script this like one of those weird movies that begins with the end and then has this thing happen and then we're going to come back to these verses because I think we will appreciate this a lot more if we journey through a little bit of some context and a few other passages that will help set this up for us. Um, so you'll see on the back of your bulletin some sermon notes. I think you'll find it especially helpful today to track along and fill in some blanks. I want to begin with a little context and remind ourselves that these scriptures, especially these gospels, unfolded in a very Jewish context. Okay? Jesus was a Jew. He was a Jew through and through. In fact, you could say he is the most faithful Jew that has ever walked the face of this earth. He worshiped the Lord from the heart perfectly. He obeyed all of the laws from the heart in perfect communion with the Father and total obedience from day one. Jesus lived in a very Jewish context, and it's important for us to remember that because we are very much not in a Jewish context. We are Westerners. We think in Western terms. Jesus had a very different experience than we do. So we have to remember, in fact, I wrote a paper in uh, Bible school. Um, I titled it, A Jesus Just Like Me, and how easy it is for each culture to kind of rewrite who Jesus was, and he ends up looking a lot like me, if I'm not careful. But the scripture helps us here. We need to make sure that Jesus is Jesus, the, the true Jesus who lived and walked 2,000 years ago. I want to begin a little by talking about rabbis and, and teachers in Jesus' day. 
to be a recognized rabbi, you had to have authority. You had, in a sense, to be commissioned or uh, credentialed by someone who had the authority over you. And so this is how it would work. A disciple would get under the teaching of a rabbi, and he would follow this rabbi. He had to be called by this rabbi. He would follow him as his Talmudim. And uh, the, the talk always was that they would follow in the dust of the rabbi. The idea is that they were so close and watching everything he did that they would be covered in the dust of that rabbi, listening, watching, following. Everything he would do, they would seek to learn from and copy. At some point along the way, the brightest of these Talmudim, these students, would, would stand out. And that rabbi would look to him and bestow on him authority. Okay? Now, authority in this day uh, was not inherent. It was always past. So the rabbi himself had received authority from another rabbi that he had followed, and then he would commission someone to go, and this is how it would go. So Rashuth referred in, in this sense to this authority. If you had a rabbi that had Rashuth, he was a rabbi with authority. He was recognized, credentialed. He had been uh, commissioned. Now, the commission service was referred to as smiha. Okay, now let's all give this a try. Smiha. Okay, one more time, all together. Smiha. We got it. That's good. Um, I was over in Israel this past summer, and uh, a lot of uh, the folks today refer to this as simica. It's a lot easier to say. Um, but this is literally the, the leaning of the hands, or uh, the, the rabbi would lean on this Talmudim, this disciple, and he would authorize him. Something along the lines of this would take place. I am pleased with you. You have proven yourself. And I now commission you in my authority, I commission you to go and to teach. Uh, teach my yoke, okay? Now, the yoke was the teaching of a given rabbi. And it's familiar to us, isn't it? Remember how Rabbi Jesus spoke, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, right? There is a yoke spoken of uh, in Jesus' ministry as his uh, teaching was put forward. Interesting about how the yoke works. You have two oxen who are yoked together. What does it show? It shows a unity, a consistency. The yoke of a rabbi was to be carried and not expanded upon, not to just be taken and, and go wherever you want. You were to be faithful to the the authority that you were given to carry the teaching that you had learned. And in doing that, it would pass then from generation to generation. Interesting. Now, there were some rabbis who were recognized as having special authority to teach new things. But this was very rare. Fast forward here to Luke chapter 20. Uh, we're fast forwarding a number of months in our journey through the the Gospel of Luke, but I think it's important to see this passage so we can better understand the two verses that we're going to examine in Jesus' baptism. So Luke chapter 20, verses 1 through 8, Jesus' authority questioned. 
One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple, okay, so he's, he's teaching the people, he's in the temple, and he's preaching, and I love this, he's preaching the gospel, the good news. Here's what happened. The chief priests and the scribes and the elders came up and said to him, now we're talking a large group of people. This is uh, the selection of leadership of uh, the religious of the day. These are no pushovers. When, when this group comes up to question you, it's a big deal. So this is a big moment in the ministry of Jesus. They come and they ask him this question. Jesus, tell us by what authority you do these things. Or who is it that gave you this authority? Now, do you see what they're asking? They're referring to both his work uh, miraculous healings, the, the authenticating power of uh, his hand and the, and the miracles he's performed, and the teaching that he's giving, the preaching of the gospel. In a sense, they're asking him, who gave you Rashuth? What's his name? Where is he from? Because it was, it was none of us. We didn't give you this authority. Who do you think you are? Who leaned on you in smiha? Who was it? Whose yoke are you under? Who gave you authority to teach new things? Now, Jesus constantly taught new things. Remember this phrase. You have heard it said, bum, 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 right? But I say to you, that's new teaching. Jesus did this all the time. And they would have been scratching their heads, well, We've never heard this before. Where is this coming from? Who gives you the right to, to push beyond what is our credentialed system of rabbinical teaching? How's Jesus going to answer? Well, if you remember Jesus in the temple at age 12, listening, learning, and questioning, asking questions, listen to how a very Jewish Jesus who is extremely gifted in the art of questioning responds to their question, really their demand. He says, I will ask you a question. Oh, they would have hated this. No, no, here he goes. You tell me, was the baptism of John the Baptist, okay, now you see how we're coming back to our text? Was the baptism of John the Baptist from heaven or from man? It's a good question. We learn a lot about the religious leaders of the day by having a glimpse into their conversation. Okay? They discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why didn't you believe John the Baptist? He's a prophet. If we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, the religious leaders think, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, that they did not know where it came from. His baptism, his authority. Where, where did John get the right to baptize and to teach and preach? Hmm. Jesus responds, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Wow. Okay. That was a significant exchange that Jesus basically shut the mouth of those who challenged his authority. But it's significant for us on this day because Jesus is pointing to the baptism of John the Baptist. 
Who authorized John's ministry? The answer to the one who authorized John's baptism or John's ministry is the same as the one who authorized and gave the, the, the leaning on or the blessing of Jesus' ministry. Hmm. Heaven. To heaven. It's a divine authority that they both carry. And so it brings us then to this authority revealed. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, all the Gospels record the baptism of Jesus. And what I love is how each one kind of brings out some different details. They have different areas of emphasis. Luke is pretty uh, uh, summing, summing up the event. He focuses primarily upon uh, what took place after the baptism. Matthew gives us some of the conversation that leads to the baptism. And I want to draw that out since we're here. We might as well see the full picture. So Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John the Baptist to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Okay, now this leads us to a very important question. Why did John hesitate to baptize Jesus? Okay, so picture John. He's preaching, and he's baptizing. This is something new. People aren't baptizing like this. John is baptizing, and he's preaching a, a baptism of repentance. Turn from sin. Turn to the Lord. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And this is what he's doing. So he's baptizing repentant sinners, one after the next, one after the next. And they're lined up, and then he looks over, and Jesus is there. And he, he holds his hand up, whoa, 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 hold on now. Wait a second. You should be baptizing me. See what he's saying? John is unworthy to baptize Jesus because John, in fact, is a sinner, and Jesus is not. John is the one who is preaching repentance, and Jesus comes to him, and he doesn't understand. Why would the sinless Messiah come to be baptized in a baptism of repentance? Hmm. John is unworthy. Jesus is infinitely worthy and sinless. This is one of the most clear displays of the sinlessness of Christ, his purity, his radiant just obedience to the Lord, it was through the Holy Spirit made perfectly clear to John that he didn't have the right to baptize Jesus. That what sin was in view that needed to be repented of? Hmm. Jesus responds this way. Jesus answered him saying, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. Then John the Baptist consented and kind of backed down and said, okay, I'll, I'll do it. But he was uncomfortable with it. And Jesus said, I insist. It is important that we do this. So then the question begs, why did Jesus insist that John baptize him? Why, why did Jesus get baptized at all? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, we know he's baptized. It, it says it in all four Gospels, and we've heard it 
Some of you have heard it like me your whole lives. You've grown up in the church. But why? Why would Jesus be baptized? Hmm. He says, this is the reason. It's fitting. It's fitting or it's right that we would do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. So what we know is Jesus is righteous through and through. He not only is sinless, but he is upright in that he does all that is to please the Lord. All the Father has given him to do, he does. And so there's something that is going to happen in this baptism that brings to pass all that God has called Christ to do. And I think the answer will uh, be multifaceted. I, I felt as if I held the baptism of Christ up and just turned it, and I looked at all of these angles. There's so many different things happening in here. At the same time, God is always doing a million things whenever he does one thing. And uh, there's a lot to see here. Back to our text now. When all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized. Now, note this. Luke is giving a distinction from all the people and Jesus. Okay, that's, a, that's something that we're supposed to catch, I think. We're supposed to see that. The people have been baptized and then Jesus was baptized. There's something separate here that Luke wants us to see. Jesus comes out of the water and is, is praying. Uh, some wonder how much time has passed. Uh, the other Gospels speak that it's immediately as he comes up out of the water in communing with the Lord that this takes place. The heavens are ripped open. Schizomai is the word. It's a, it's a tearing, just like the, the curtain in the temple was torn. The heavens are ripped open and the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus. Now, what do we know about the Holy Spirit? He's a spirit. You can't see him. But in this moment, he is given a, a, a persona, a, a, like a dove. That's how it's described. He, he descended in, in a visible representation on Jesus, kind of like uh, at Pentecost. The Spirit came down in, as, as it were, tongues of fire, right? There's a, a presence made visible descending upon Jesus. Now, Jesus has been filled with the Holy Spirit his entire ministry. So this is not a new uh, thing, but it is a making visible or a going public with the fact that, in, in fact, the Spirit is on this man. But that's not all. A voice from heaven spoke. This is not some spiritual sense that Jesus has. This is an audible Mount Sinai Father speaking moment. The Father speaks audibly to all who can hear. And he says, this is my son. And I am well pleased with you. You, you are my son. Wow. There's a lot happening in this. The fulfilling of all righteousness is taking place. I would call this, first of all, undeniable authorization. This is a smiha that no one has ever seen. This is the kind of leaning on, blessing, commissioning, authority, revealing moment that is undeniable. He is authorized. When he speaks, he speaks 
with the authority of heaven, he speaks. When he teaches, he teaches with all that is consistent with the word of God as he is led by the spirit of God. John describes this. Look at this. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to him. And John the Baptist says of Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is the Spirit-revealed recognition of the Messiah. That's the one. He's the Messiah. He is the Lamb, the sacrifice, who takes the sin of the world away. This is the one, or this is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, John says, for he existed before me. And we just have to stop and say, wait, what? Wasn't it Zechariah and Elizabeth who conceived six months before the Virgin Mary? Is that correct? Absolutely. And we just covered that. John is saying, Jesus existed before me. He is pointing to the divinity of Christ. He is pointing to the fact that this is the Son of God, eternally existent before the incarnation. What an awesome thing. And then he says this, I did not recognize him, but he who sent me, note that, the Father who sent me, uh, said, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And then John says this, I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. That's the Messiah. It's undeniable. You cannot contest this. It is proven. It is true. And I witnessed it. He says, firsthand, John the Baptist, I, I saw this firsthand. I heard the voice. He is the Messiah. So to all of those who challenge the authority of Jesus, this answers it. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer, from heaven. He was the prophet sent by God. He spoke the words of God as God led him and, and called him to speak. The baptism itself was uh, commissioned by God. He was to baptize in water as he paved the way for the Lamb of God and pointed to the one, even who at Jesus' baptism, he witnessed the divinity of Christ. What an awesome thing. There's more on display. The, the, the fulfilling of all righteousness, I think, is a display here of Trinitarian glory. The word Trinity you won't find in your Bibles. However, the Trinity is real. It's a word that we use to describe the Godhead, who God is in His persons. He is Father, Spirit, and Son. There are three members of the Godhead, each one on display in this moment. To think, you have the Son of God incarnate in the water, coming up out of the water. You have the heavens ripped open and the Spirit of God descending. And then the Father Himself speaking the blessing upon His Son. All three in that work, in that moment, revealed for us. The curtain is torn open for us to see this great and mysterious and glorious God at work. There is also here what may be the most significant display in the, the answer to the question, why did Jesus get baptized? I think this is probably most in view here. It is 
that he is identifying with sinners. Jesus took the cross not because he was a sinner, but to pay for for the sins of others. He became man. He humbled himself and, and took upon himself human flesh to enter into our experience, to feel the temptations that we experience, to take the weaknesses that we know in his humanity. And in this baptism, he is saying, I am with you. I am with you. In fact, I will be the first fruits of those who are put down and brought up. And in this, you will see my work, which is the last thing I would say is on display in the baptism of Jesus. It is a redemptive anticipation. Redemptive anticipation. Baptism in itself is a visible word. It communicates the gospel. What we're going to do in just a minute or two is we're going to have people enter the water and stand and testify that that God has radically changed them from the inside out. He has saved them. They're not getting saved here. It's already happened. What they want to know or to show is that they are his and that he has brought them to life and they are identifying with Christ in his life and his death and burial as we go under the water, full immersion. That's what Jesus did here. He, baptizo, it's, it's a, to be immersed completely under and then in his resurrection from the tomb, from the grave, his victory over death. Hmm. His sinless life, his wrath-satisfying death and burial, and his victorious resurrection. This is proclaimed at the baptism of Jesus, even before it had happened. And everyone who follows the command of God in the waters of baptism proclaims the same. He saved me. He took my death. I identify with him. I'm united with him in his death and his burial. He, he, he was buried for me. He died for me. And because of what he did, after he rose from the grave victoriously, I am forgiven. I am free. Now, just to take this to the, uh, the next piece, I couldn't help but, but include this. I had to Jesus' authority bestowed. I want us to think a little bit more about the Great Commission and even the command of baptism. Come with me to Matthew 28, 18 through 20, because this reshuth happens to display another smicha ceremony that takes place. Jesus came and he said this, all, all authority, All authority has been given to me. By whom? By whom? By the Father. His obedience, his uh, submission to the Father's will has brought this glory, this reality that every knee will bow to this triumphant king. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the judge of all the earth. And the Father bestows upon the Son all authority in heaven and on earth. And then Jesus says this, You go. You go. You see what's happening here? You go, therefore, and make disciples. Go in my name. Go in my authority. Take my yoke and go. And when you go, making disciples, and I always add this, it's not just converts, but disciples. 
full-fledged followers of Jesus. When you go, baptize. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teach them my yoke. Teach them to observe, to obey, to delight, to do all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is an amazing thing. So what we do here today, we do in the authority of the name above all names, in the name of Jesus. And we do this in obedience to him because this is not just a suggestion, is it? This is a command. For many believers, this is the first command as a believer you're given an opportunity to do, to obey, to delight in. And yet sometimes God convicts people years later, you know what? I just, I think I should be baptized. I feel like I, I want to follow the Lord and declare to the world, I want everyone to know that I'm His. And so, we have the waters of baptism. The connectivity of Scripture is amazing. I love, in connection to baptism, I love this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It's a promise. It's a promise. The old has passed away. It's before Christ. It's dead and gone. It's buried in the tomb. He buried it in his death and his burial. And if you're in Christ, behold, the new has come. The pure, the holy, the washed. That person who is in Christ is most defined now by righteousness, not sinfulness. By the obedience of Christ and His perfections. What's amazing is these things that were true of Jesus in His baptism are now true of us by faith. By faith. We place our faith in the work of Jesus Christ. When, we, when I say, Lord, I am in union with you. I am united with you in your work on my behalf. I trust in you. I look to you. I depend upon you to be the sacrifice for me. I'm in Christ. And in that place, I'm indwelled with the Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit in me. And I have a Father who is well pleased. A Father in heaven who looks down, not because of my worthiness, but because of His Son's worthiness, of whom I am in. And He looks at me and He says, that's my son, or that's my daughter. And I am well pleased in you. What a radical change from the rebels we used to be. All of grace, because of his great love. Let's pray. As those who are being baptized this morning head to the office, Lord, we draw our focus to you. We are in awe of what you have done. Our minds are blown at your glory revealed in your word, even of your perfect plan unfolding in connections and ways that we never even noticed before. 
Lord, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for sending your son because you, you love. You, you loved so much that you gave your son to be humbled and take upon human form, to live life as a man and to never sin, to, to live the life that we could not live and have not lived. And then to take the cross, to pay for our offenses, to, to, to be sin on our behalf, to take the punishment from your hand, to, to receive wrath poured out on him instead of us. Lord, what love that is. What a gift it is. And then that He would die our death and be buried in a tomb that we deserve. And then after three days, raise victorious over death and sin and hell. Defeating our greatest foe. And giving life in His name by faith. We can be forgiven. Father, we thank you for that good news. We need that good news for we have all sinned here. We are all rightfully under your righteous wrath and hell bound unless you turn our gaze to Christ and draw us to repent of our sins and trust in his finished work. Oh, Lord, we delight in the lives that you've changed in this room. My life included. I am not who I used to be. What you have done. Oh, amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Father, we celebrate with these four today in the work that you have accomplished for them and we delight in their obedience to trust you and to take a stand and proclaim that that you are their Savior, their joy, their reward, their only hope in this life and the next. Lord, I pray if there would be any in this service right now that have not yet trusted you as Savior and Lord. Oh, Spirit of God, just stir hearts even now to see Christ and to turn from sin and and run to Him as Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.